If you've ever won any kind of spiritual battle, if you've ever been victorious over any temptation, any temptation, you should not bow up in the mirror and say, well, look how sharp my sword is. Look at how much spiritual victory I have claimed in the name of Jesus. No, you should fall on your face in humility and worship a God who has fought for you. It's an understanding of how helpless we are to win any battle apart from the Lord engaging our enemy. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have you ever been in a really desperate situation? Maybe you feel like you're in one now. Maybe the spiritual battle you're facing is so daunting that you don't think you'll make it apart from a supernatural intervention. Well, today we'll hear about a time Joshua felt the exact same way. Pastor Trent has been examining the Old Testament book of Joshua in a series titled Onward, Don't Stop Now. Let's listen together. Get your Bibles open this morning to Joshua chapter 10. The direction of the Christian life is... Onward. Are you moving onward with God? Through the battles, through the fight. This morning, we're going to look at another story that reminds us that our God is fighting for us. I want to give you the point of the message here up front. It is this. God moves in response to bold faith to change impossible situations. I want you to put quotation marks around the word impossible. Because if you are a Christian and we know that we have a God that's fighting for us, then we understand there is nothing impossible for us. Do you understand that the Christian life is a supernatural life? It's unexplainable apart from God. I remember hearing Dr. Adrian Rogers say that we as Christians have no right to be believed as long as we can be explained. Is there anything in your life that you can point to and say, see that right there? That's unexplainable apart from God. Or is it that you've just been well-educated and you've got some money and you can make things happen, you get good grades and you have influence, Or is it that you are living a life that is absolutely unexplainable apart from a supernatural God breaking through and winning some battles for you? As long as your life is explainable, then your life is not believable. And the outside world is looking to see, is there anything different about our life that can't be explained apart from God? Now, let me tell you, the passage of Scripture we're about to dig into is unexplainable. Now, that's a challenge to me because my job description is to explain the Scripture to you. I can't explain this one, okay? But I believe it, and I want you to believe it too. I can't explain how it happened. I can only explain that it happened and maybe why it happened. So you ready to see this unexplainable story? Let's begin in Joshua chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Underline those two words, save us. And the next two words, 
help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered together against us. You're like, what? what? Gibeonites? What? Amorite? What in the world is this? Do you remember last week, if you were with us, we learned that Gibeon was an enemy nation of Joshua, Israel, and ultimately of God. And through Gibeon's deception, he got Joshua to enter into a covenant with this enemy nation. This nation that God wanted Joshua to make war with, Joshua made peace with. And he entered into this covenant. As soon as the covenant was made, the covenant got tested. Because these five kings from these Amorite cities attacked Gibeon. That'll test a covenant. So Gibeon cries out and says, hey, Joshua, remember that little covenant we entered into? Remember how we made peace? Remember how your friends are my friends and your enemies are my enemies? Well, I got some enemies. And so we need you to come over here and fight on our behalf. We need you to fight with us and for us. And so sure enough, not because Joshua thought it was a great idea, but because there was a covenant that was made, Joshua and his armies went up and fought on the behalf of Gibeon. Do you see the picture of the gospel in that story? You and I are Gibeon. We're enemy rogue nations from God. And God has not made war with us. He has made peace with us through the blood covenant of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's turned us from enemies into friends. Therefore, whoever attacks us, attacks who? Attacks God. And my enemies are now God's enemies. And anytime that I feel like I am surrounded and I am attacked, what should I do? Like Gibeon, I should cry out and say, hey, Jesus, don't relax your hand now. Remember that covenant relationship we're in? I need you right here, right now. I'm in a battle. I'm surrounded. Save us and help us. If you're in covenant relationship with God, you can be assured that whatever battle you are in, your God is fighting for you. That's just the introduction. Sorry, got a little worked up in the introduction. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Bold faith acts upon the promises of God. Let's see what happened here in verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, that was kind of headquarters, and he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. So Joshua says, sure enough, we're in covenant, and he marches to the defense of Gibeon. Then in verse 8, what would you expect it to say? It says, so Joshua went from Gilgal, all the people of war, all the mighty men of valor. You would expect verse 8 to say, and Joshua did great and mighty acts. But notice there's a promise that comes first in verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them will stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly. Underline the word suddenly. That's going to be an important word later. The word suddenly means Joshua didn't procrastinate. Joshua didn't waste a second at the beginning of this battle, even though he's going to need more time at the end of it. He didn't waste any time at the beginning. Suddenly, having marched up all night. The word up is significant there. It's actually an elevation change. He actually marched 15 miles uphill 
with those mighty men of valor in the dark. It says, all night from Gilgal. And then in verse 10, you would expect to see Joshua doing some great things. You would expect it to say, and Joshua threw them into a great panic. And Joshua struck them with a great blow. And Joshua chased them by the way of the ascent. And Joshua struck them as far as that hard name and the other hard name. But that's not what it says, is it? Who did all this? It says in verse 10, it was the Lord. So who's fighting? Joshua or the Lord? The answer is yes. That Joshua's fighting and the Lord's fighting and the Lord is fighting through Joshua. That's a great lesson for us. Bold faith acts upon the promises of God. God gave Joshua a promise. The outcome has already been predetermined. You're going to win the battle. Now, knowing that is a lesson for us. Before we can have confidence to fight our battles, we have to make sure we're in the right battle, that we're fighting the right enemy. And so God sends Joshua with great confidence saying, there's a promise, not a man will be able to stand against you. And so as we talk about faith this morning, bold, audacious faith to stand against the enemy, we need to first of all hear the promises of God. We need to be assured of the Word of God acting in us. Before we can act in faith, the Word of God has to saturate my mind and my life. This is the way it works. From the New Testament, we understand that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So before you can act in faith, before you charge hell with a water pistol, before you engage the enemy, you need to be commissioned by God, a word from God to say you're fighting in the right battle. Here's the way it works. If faith comes by hearing, then we need to understand hearing God's word is what initiates my faith. Without a word from God, all you're doing is wishful thinking or at worst, fortune telling, which is an abomination to God. It's not that I'm going to create some desire of my heart to make my life easier or, or get rid of people that annoy me or, or change my situation or circumstance so that I'll have an easier life. No, I will only exercise faith in what I've heard from God. Hearing God's Word initiates faith, and then praying God's Word activates faith. If you pray God's Word, what you're saying is, God... What you said is true. And I, by faith, am going to believe what you said is true. And again, you won't pray much if your mind is not saturated much with the Word of God. And so praying God's Word activates faith, and then obeying God's Word demonstrates faith. Don't tell me you have bold faith if you just hear God's Word and fill your mind with an encyclopedia full of Bible knowledge. And don't tell me that you just pray God's Word if somehow hearing God's Word and praying God's Word doesn't activate obedience and change in your life. And so as we have faith and we pray God's Word, we want to make sure we're praying according to God's will. So the question for us is this, how can we be sure that we have heard a word from God? 
Now, this is a big question in a lot of different churches, so much confusion about how can I pray in faith and exercise faith in my life. Please hear me. The will of God is found in the Word of God. There is never anything God's going to ask you to do that He has not already spoken to in His Word. And so as you read God's Word and hear God's Word preached, you should be bending your ear to the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word of God so that you can act in faith and obedience to God. And the further you move away from the written Word of God, the less confidence you can have that you have heard from God. Anything else is just wishful thinking. And so in order to pray in faith, you have to believe that you have heard from God. So how can you pray knowing you've heard from God? You pray Scripture to God. You can always safely pray that the church would prosper and the Great Commission would be fulfilled. Why is that true? Because we've saturated our minds with Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I, do I need to pray about whether or not I need to be making disciples? No. Do I need to pray about whether or not I need to take any steps in becoming a disciple? No. I just need to obey in faith. That's exactly what God wants. And so I can pray big, audacious bold prayers that the church would prosper and that disciples would be made and that the community would be revived and awakening to this world would come through a strong, prosperous, disciple-making church. I can always pray in faith about that. I can always pray that someone who is outside of Christ would come to repentance to Christ, because of this verse in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Anybody that you know that is not a believer, you can always pray by name that they would repent and come, knowing that is the will of God. You can always pray that you would patiently endure suffering because of what we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, do you see what that verse just says? That there are times when it is God's will for you to suffer. Do you have room in your theology for a God who would allow you to suffer? Well, why would God do that? So that it would train your soul to exercise faith in the suffering while you do good. It brings great glory to God. As a matter of fact, most Christians on the planet right now are enduring incredible suffering while they are exercising great faith. And so those are just three examples. When you read God's word, you can act in faith. Joshua heard a word from God, do not fear. Not a man will be able to stand against you. And you know what happened immediately? Joshua began to march. We get our marching orders from the Word of God. Here's the second thing. Bold faith is rooted in the power of God. Again, here in verse 9, it says, Joshua came upon them suddenly. He marched all night. And then in verse 10, we see those four things that the Lord did. The Lord threw them into panic. The Lord struck them with a great blow. 
the Lord chased them, and the Lord rained down these hailstones upon them. And then look at the end of, of verse 11. It says, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Don't you love that? It was a reminder that the battle belongs to the Lord. And it was just a little commentary. Um, If you've ever won any kind of spiritual battle, if you've ever been victorious over any temptation, any temptation, you should not bow up in the mirror and say, well, look how sharp my sword is. Look at how much spiritual victory I have claimed in the name of Jesus. No, you should fall on your face in humility and worship a God who has fought for you. It's an understanding of how helpless we are to win any battle apart from the Lord engaging our enemy. There were more that were killed by the hailstones that the Lord did miraculously than those who were killed by the sword. Now, as you read through this, if you're engaged like I am, I, I was really convicted by this because I don't know about you, but you've probably noticed if you've come to harvest any time at all, I have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. How many of you like me understand God does not need me? God can do anything he wants. He's not obligated to answer my prayer. He doesn't need me in any way to win any spiritual battle. God can do whatever he wants to do completely apart from my effort. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. But do you know what that oftentimes tricks me into believing? It tricks me into believing I don't need to march, I don't need to fight, and I don't need to pray. If the Lord's got this battle under control, then I can just sit over here on the sideline and just I'll just cheer at the end. Woo! Go, God! But throughout this story, we see something that theologians call the divine human cooperative. God fought, but God also expected Joshua to fight. And God doesn't want you sitting on the sidelines waiting for God to fight battles you ought to be fighting. He expects you and I to be engaged in the battle. He expects you and I to have big vision for victory. He expects us to pray big, bold prayers and to engage in battle and expect God is fighting through us and for us. I believe God can do anything he wants to do. I believe God is able to exercise his power. But sometimes I struggle with whether or not God actually wants to exercise his power. I was challenged by reading this. I'm like, God, I I don't want to embarrass you in any way. And so I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to pray something that's not your will. And so I I, I just kind of want to stay in my safe little box. And I don't want to kind of speculate on battles that you want to win. And I don't want to engage in battles that that you don't want to fight. And I don't don't ever want to pray anything that would end up in an unanswered prayer because an unanswered prayer would kind of make you look bad. And I don't want to make you look bad. And I felt like God just said, Trent, really? You think itty-bitty little you is somehow going to embarrass me? No. There is no enemy too strong for God. There is no vision too sweeping for God. 
There's no prayer too big for God. And as a matter of fact, what we see in the Bible is this. I can't explain this to you. And as a person who has a high view of the sovereignty of God, I I don't know how to explain this. But listen, there are some things God will not do until we pray that he will do them. We know that from James chapter 4, verse 2. Do you remember the little verse? We have not because we ask not. There are so many things we live without because we don't expect God to do them. We don't believe not only that God has the power that he's able to do it, but that he actually wants to do it. And so bold faith is rooted in the power of God. And then the third thing is this. Bold faith believes God for the impossible. Now, I want to read to you something in the Bible that's going to challenge your faith. I said early in the message that the Christian life is supernatural and unexplainable. I want to read to you something that I do not have the ability to explain to you, but it just simply says in verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord. Isn't that great? First, the Lord speaks to Joshua. That's always the sequence. God initiates. And then Joshua responds by speaking to the Lord. In the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, he said in the sight of Israel, here was Joshua's prayer, son, Stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took revenge on their enemies. So Joshua's fought this battle all day. He had marched all night to get there. Remember, he didn't waste a second in the battle and yet He was running out of time, and he prays a prayer for God to send the battle into overtime. Maybe he feared that under the cover of darkness, the enemy would get away, and so he, by faith, prays a big, audacious, hairy prayer and asks God to do something that was, quote-unquote, impossible. Just stop the sun right there until the enemy has been defeated. And lo and behold, God answered his prayer. Now, I cannot explain to you what happened. We could think about some options here. I mean, we kind of know scientifically, remember back to fifth grade, where we learned that the sun actually doesn't move across the sky? Have you learned this? You get this? The sun's not moving. The sun's in the center of the solar system. And the, and the earth is revolving around, and the, the earth rotates, which gives us the appearance that the sun is actually moving. Do you know this? Some, some of you need to take notes. You're learning this for the first time. This is awesome, okay? And so, but we still use the language, right? We, we love to talk about the sunrise and the sunset, even though we understand it's just the earth rotating, right? So the most obvious explanation, just kind of on the surface, we would think that if the sun stood still in the sky, what does that imply about the rotation of the earth? The Lord stopped the rotation of the earth, which is a little hard to believe because, I mean, wouldn't that just create like a big jerk and we'd all fall down? And and does that do something to gravity? We all float off into space. But how many of you believe that if God can stop the rotation of the earth, he can kind of deal with the consequences, right? I mean, all you have to do is believe the first verse, verse in the Bible that the Lord created 
the heavens and the earth? And if he created it, he can stop it, start it, keep it. I mean, all that would happen, all that would need to happen in order for everything just to blow apart is for God to stop making it happen, right? So we, we, we believe in a, a miraculous God. Now, for those of you that don't have as much of an appetite for a supernatural God, other explanations have been offered. Some would say if you dig down into the Hebrew language and look at those words, the sun stood still. Some would say, you know, if you really kind of bent things around a little bit, you could interpret it to say the sun stopped shining. So maybe it was an, an eclipse. and We've seen those, right? That seems a little supernatural, but we, see, we understand how the moon sometimes moves between the earth and the sun, and it gives the appearance that there's darkness. And, but then you think, well, how would darkness extend the day? That, that, that wouldn't help anything, right? As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, it tells us where the moon was in the story anyway. It says the sun was on one horizon over Gibeon, and the moon was on the other horizon over this place called Ajalon. They were juxtaposed. The moon wasn't anywhere near the sun. That's a problem. Other people say, well, you could explain it by saying the sun's light was maybe refracted. So maybe the earth's rotation didn't stop, but God made somehow the, the, the sun, the light rays to go around the earth, and, and okay, whatever. And other people say, well, it's, the whole story is just poetic. It's, it didn't really mean that. It's just kind of like, it just kind of seemed like a really long day. And how many of you, how many of you ever had a day where it felt like it was never going to end? This is like, oh man, you ever, you ever, somebody had one of those days? And so people say, well, that's what happened. We know that's not what happened because of the next thing that we read in the story it says at the end of verse 13, is this not written in the book of Jashar? Apparently there was an extra biblical book, another history book. We don't have that book anymore. But apparently this was well known. It was, it was recorded history. And it says, the sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry for a whole day. There has never been a day like it before or since. So I don't know how long your day was on Tuesday, but it wasn't like this day. All right. This day was a different day. This was a miraculous event. We don't exactly know how it happened, but we believe it did happen. And it teaches us this lesson that God answers impossible prayers and changes impossible situations. He is fighting for us. Wow, it's so encouraging to know that the God who rules the universe is fighting for his people. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whatever you're facing, no matter how impossible it seems, is no problem for God. We'll hear the conclusion of Pastor Trent Griffith's message, Sun Stand Still, next week here on Resonate. Harvest Bible Chapel is founded on Jesus Christ and supported by four pillars, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, here's your invitation. 
Join us for a worship service sometime in the near future. Our main campus is in Granger, Indiana, but we also meet in St. Joseph, Michigan. Go to harvestgranger.org for more information. Well, next week we'll hear part two of Trent's message, Sun Stand Still, and I hope you can join us then. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.